0: Now, a week ago, a lot of us hadn't heard of Silicon Valley Bank. Now we can't stop hearing or reading about it because there are deep concerns about what the collapse of this bank is going to do to the rest of the economy. The fall happened so rapidly, it seems like, right? There was a run on the bank when depositors tried to get their money out and then things had shut down by midday Friday. So if you've seen the headlines and wondered what is this about? How's it going to affect me? Well, let's find out. Barry Knapp has been around on Wall Street since 1984, has had a front row seat to quite a few financial crises, including the collapse of Lehman Brothers. He's a research director at Ironside's Macroeconomics LLC and joins us now. Barry, thanks for being here. Good morning. First off, Barry, what was Silicon Valley Bank? Uh,
1: Silicon Valley Bank was the um, largest lender to the venture capital sector. Um, They were a sleepy little bank, you know, 10 years or so ago, but really did decide on a business model where they would really integrate themselves into the whole venture capital uh, ecosystem. And so they became, you know, the business account or of choice. They did quite a bit of lending to the um, uh, venture capital sector. And um, really, when they're you know, the the real story here that's most interesting is what happened to Silicon Valley Valley Bank during the pandemic. Now, you know, we've long maintained at Ironsides and back to my days at Barclays and BlackRock that large-scale asset purchases were not costless, that they, the second order effect, which the Fed refuses to discuss. In fact, I saw former Fed Chairman Bernanke speak at a conference back in October, and he just, almost refuses to even entertain these thoughts that they create um, what the Austrian economists would refer to as malinvestment investment going into uneconomic uh, areas that um, could only exist with interest rates at zero and the fed buying up a third of the bond market. And so that's really what happened at Silicon Valley bank was during the 20 and 21, 21 in particular, excessive monetary policy and actions of the Treasury easing that their deposits exploded from sixty billion dollars to almost hundred and ninety billion dollars in a three year period of time. And then so,
0: what did they do with
1: that? Bit, well that's that therein lies the the big problem was uh, at the time interest rates were zero, so if they left the money undeposited at the Fed, they would have earned eight basis points or so Um, they decided to um, lend out what they could lend out to the venture capital industry. So they wound up with $70 billion categorized as other commercial loans, which we can only imagine that when the various banks that looked at them this weekend, like PNC Bank out of Pittsburgh, a very high quality, large regional bank, walked away from it, they may very well have viewed that loan portfolio is unanalyzable and and it's sort of a funny term, unanalyzable, but that was how Bank America described ours, meaning Lehman Brothers' commercial real estate portfolio back in that fateful weekend in two thousand and eight and that thirty six billion was only was a much smaller percentage of our total of six hundred billion of assets in the case of Silicon Valley, it was seventy billion dollars of loans against. $210 billion of assets. So that, no doubt, was a big problem. But then that wasn't enough. Obviously, $70 billion is a small percentage of those $190 billion of deposits. So what they ended up doing was buying quite a few long-duration uh, mortgage-backed securities. Now, un- undoubtedly, they, they, they couldn't have hired any former mortgage trader from Wall Street to do that investment, investing for them because no one, and I know lots of mortgage people having worked at Lehman, would have ever suggested buying those securities at the all-time low for interest rates. So even if they had just put the money into treasuries, for example, and bought five-year treasury notes, the average yield for five-year treasury notes was 0.85% in 2021. Of course, even with the ferocious rally we've had today, they're at 3.64%. So uh, those securities are trading at about 90 cents on the dollar. That's a 10% hit, which is almost enough in and of itself to wipe out all of their equity and debt capital. Um, so okay. this this problem, uh, okay, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll, I can leave it there.
0: Well, I thought we should, you know, what is this going to mean, I guess, on for the bigger picture then? We see this bank failure. We, we read all about these details. They clearly made some very poor choices here in terms of investing that money. But what does it mean in the bigger picture?
1: Well, you know, it it basically it basically means that the Fed has to stop raising rates and take a take a look around. Um, You know, they've talked a lot about long and variable lags. And we have a we have a really acute problem in our banking system in as much as a large bank. And there were some other regulatory mistakes made along the way that really slowed the growth of all that liquidity that would that they created in 2021 from going to the very largest banks. They almost pushed it to the smaller community banks and regional banks. So those banks all have quite a problem right now with the securities they bought. Um, they're undoubtedly underwater there. They could earn their way out of this over time, but when the Fed says things like, well, we need to separate monetary policy from what they call macroprudential policy, which is regulatory policy in essence, that's impossible. Um, they're going to have to stop raising rates and make sure that the banking system's assets are stable and that these small community banks and smaller regional banks uh, don't all find themselves with bank runs and having to liquidate these bonds at big discounts. Are, um, are,
0: are you worried about so it, this? Like when you look at this, are you worried about the bigger impact here? Oh, for sure.
1: Um for sure, and we've been—you know—we've been saying back in September when the Fed was hiking. At that point, we were sort of at the maximum, you know, fear around Fed uh, monetary policy tightening. And I—I I was in Boston seeing clients early that week, and then in New York uh, the weekend or the day of the Fed meeting. And I was telling clients, if the Fed is not careful here, we're going to have a huge exchange rate crisis. And sure enough. I got up the following morning after the Fed meeting and the Bank of Japan had intervened, bought $21 billion worth of yen to try and stabilize the currency. We then had the uh, British pound go into a flash crash that Sunday night, which was blamed on the trust government incorrectly. The origin really was the Fed. And that mortgage market, the U.S. mortgage-backed securities market, uh, tumbled in on that Monday morning. And so we thought the Fed had learned their lesson that they couldn't just aggressively approach only inflation without respect to financial stability. Leo Brainard, who's now moved over to the administration, seemed to comprehend that, gave a couple of speeches to that effect. And that's why the Fed slowed the process. But when the Fed, when Chairman Powell reintroduced the idea of accelerating the rate hikes last Tuesday, that set off this chain of events that mm. led to this, this uh, bank failure So the Fed really needs to, at this point, probably stop the rate hikes, take a look around, and uh, make sure that the financial sector is stable.
0: Wow, that is so interesting. that's that's where we're at. That'll definitely impact us here, too. Barry, thanks for that this morning. Sure. Appreciate that. That's Barry Knapp, research director at Ironsides Macroeconomics LLC, used to be at Barclays Bank as well, uh, analyzing the financial situation right now. So if that is the case, if that means that this crisis right now means that in the United States they put a halt to rising uh, interest rates and, and putting all that on pause right now, what does that mean for us in Canada? That's what we wait to see. A statement, though, from the finance minister here in Canada says that the Canadian government has been closely monitoring the situation with Silicon Valley Bank and said that Christopher uh, Freeland has spoken with financial sector leaders in the Bank of Canada, so they are in close contact with OSFI and they believe that Canada's well regulated banking system is sound and resilient.